video. It's the only way to get what you want to watch when you want to watch. Hello, my name is Justin Kluwer, and I'm here today with Mark Anson. And you're listening to the Bay Street Video Podcast, where we go through all the new Blu-rays and DVD releases that are available at Bay Street Video, which at this point is wide open, right, Mark? People can just wander <laughs> oh, in. yeah, you know, just walk in <laughs> off the street. Don't even wear a mask or anything. It's all good. <laughs> Isn't it that Ontario is opening up? I saw, like, tons of people leave a gift shop unmasked, and I'm like, oh, what is going God. on? We're across the street from an indigo, like a huge indigo store, and they just opened their doors on Tuesday, I think it was, to the public. And we were wondering, like, how are they going to monitor this? Like, what are their safety precautions? And the man... Oh, they're not going to. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) We went over and asked. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're just... You know, they've got plastic shields up in front of the cashiers. But they're just like, yeah, we're, like, trying to monitor the people in here. But, yeah, okay. And then somebody came up and they're like, oh, can I go in? And the guy's like, yeah, sure. Hold on a sec. Sure. Yeah, go in. Like, there's just no... And no control I don't know. or anything. No control. But the thing is, like, if somebody... Like, because they're not going to keep track of it. The only way that it will shut down is if, like, a cashier or something like that exactly, gets Exactly, right? And, like, I just feel like the way things are going, that's what's going to happen. So, I mean, for those of you who are not in Canada or Ontario, I guess, at the moment, they did say... So, the premier, our lovable premier did say that retail businesses could reopen to the public this week if they feel prepared to do so. And a lot of people, a lot of people, like corporate, mostly corporate stores, took this as a sign of, great, we'll open the doors again. And now everybody's out on the streets, everybody's shopping again. A lot of independent stores, us included, feel really uncomfortable about that. Uh, Mostly us, because we, we, if you've never been to the store, we're a pretty small store, a lot of narrow aisles. We don't even have plastic shields up yet, although we're working on that right now. Uh, But even beyond that, it's the air circulating. That's how people get sick. And that's the thing. And our ventilation in the store isn't the greatest at the best of times because we aren't actually on a street level either. We're kind of in a little mall entranceway. So, like, we could really only realistically let three, maybe four people in at once. And even then it would be a risk because the aisles we have are so narrow. So, And then, again, if somebody gets sick, we'd have to shut down and, like, deep clean. But I don't even know how we would deep clean our place. We've got product everywhere. We've got, like, flip frames everywhere that people touch. There's just so much stuff to touch. And a lot of our customers are older, don't necessarily wear masks. You know, cleanliness might not be the number one thing on their minds. So I don't know. I just – yeah, I just personally I feel uncomfortable about that and – I don't want to force – we're already working with kind of a skeleton crew because not everybody's back right now and it would just make things kind of a nightmare for us. So we're kind of sticking with a lot of the other independent stores in the city and kind of sticking to curbside right now until we think it's safer to actually open. Well, those big like corporations, they know if someone gets sick, they'll just close for a day, clean, and then reopen the next exactly, day. Exactly, right? Like they don't care. And they have the man, they have the manpower and the money to hire deep cleaning crews and you know stuff like that. And to maybe, you know, if staff members get sick, they have other staff members. They're all numbers in a computer. It doesn't matter. Exactly, (laughs) right? We like to put the safety of our staff first, like everybody should. Like we said last week, if people want to rent or buy stuff, they can send you emails. uh, Visit BayStreetVideo.com. You have your whole inventory on there. And they can also give you a call to ask info and set a pickup date. Yeah. So once again, we're open Monday to Saturdays right now. And between 10 and two on those days, we're taking requests by phone. Our curbside hours are two to six Monday to Saturday, and we'll set like a half hour window for you to come down. Uh, But if you don't want to give us a call or you want to send some requests at a different time, 
email our Bay Street Video email account, which is baystreetvideoto at gmail.com, and we'll respond right away. So the first thing that we have this week is one that's dear to my heart because I'm involved in it, baby. I had to put this first. This is a big deal. This is a big deal right here. Uh, Fist of Fear, Touch of Death is being released by Film Detective. And for people that don't know, Film Detective is a company that they mostly take public domain-ish stuff, do scans, don't really do any remastering, and put it on DVD, and sometimes Blu-ray. But recently, they seem to have made some deals with a bunch of distributors, and they're doing some, like, boutique releases, like they did Ego. Yeah, Ego was kind of the big first one that they did, I think, of this sort of, like, cult Blu-ray line. But Fist of Fear, Touch of Death is like their first big special edition. They have liner notes in it. They have a new 30-minute documentary. Comes in a red case, limited edition. Ooh, I and love those liner that red notes. case. <laughs> yeah, so why is this so near and dear to your heart right now? Those liner notes are written by Will Sloan and Justin DeClue. Justin <laughs> DeClue? <laughs> I know. And you may be wondering, wait, what is Fist of Fear, Touch of Death? This is a movie that is probably the most absurd of all the films that tried to rip off Bruce Lee after he died, where what they did is they took a black and white Bruce Lee movie that he made when he was a teenager, they redubbed it, and they also added in a flashback to his grandparents, uh, which is just a random <laughs> kung fu film. And at the same time, they shot like documentary style footage of a competition taking place at Madison Square Garden, <laughs> which is to decide the next Bruce Lee. And so you have people like Fred Williamson playing himself going to Madison Square Garden to check it all out. And it is absolutely absurd it was directed by an editor it's like one of the only films he directed it was released by aquarius releasing oh actually produced by aquarius releasing a company that was famous for taking like italian films shooting a little bit of footage and repackaging it they did um bruce lee strikes back from the grave right people may remember as a poster of bruce lee like punching out of the grave <laughs> yeah all classic. they did was shoot uh, some footage of uh <laughs> tombstone that says bruce lee and a dude like jumps out of it in the first 10 <laughs> seconds and then the rest of the movie is some random film that has nothing to do with so it. how did you get involved with this release oh i reached out and i was like hey can we like do the li- I, the commentary the liner notes we've written about this film uh my podcast co-host will sloan has interviewed the director in a book we published like we are the people to help you with this release and they were like no thanks but no thanks and i was like oh okay (laughs) (laughs) but then they messaged me back weeks later and we're like oh yeah if you guys want to do it you can do it and we did and it's in that release so happy they looked you up after and were like oh my god this guy we've made a huge mistake reach out to him immediately well like not only had we interviewed the director had it published in a book there was a 20 minute video on bruce floitation of us talking with clips and it was just free online that's (laughs) the thing i can't believe they like didn't even get back to you right away at first because of that it's insane to me we did a podcast on it as well I got to say, Mark, I recently reached out to another boutique uh, distributor to say, like, we did interviews with this uh, subject. We did a podcast and they were like, thanks, but no thanks. So I don't know what to do. (laughs) Are you allowed to say which one or no? Do you want to keep that? So the film is absolutely absurd, but I think it works on a level of absurdity that, like, you need to see it. Uh, It stars a real life martial artist called Aaron Banks, who at one point 
they took footage of Bruce Lee doing an interview and they made it look like the guy's interviewing Bruce Lee <laughs> and they dubbed Bruce Lee saying stuff like, you're really the reason martial arts continue to this day, Mr. Aaron Banks. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God. That's, a, that's incredible. And they did remaster the, the picture on this one. So it's like, it looks better than it ever has. And the 30 minute documentary that interviews the director, the screenwriter, the distributor, Fred Williamson. Yeah. It was done by Ballyhoo Pictures, who are like a really famous uh, behind the scenes company. So highly recommend picking up this release before it's gone. Do you still have copies we do. left? We uh, have... <laughs> I think you and Will Sloan both picked up a copy <laughs> yes. from us. <laughs> but we still have That's a right. bunch of copies. It does say limited, I think, to 1500 on the front. Um, That's a lot of copies yeah, for this, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, please buy, please buy. We still have like 15 copies of Ega too in the back too. So I have no uh, financial uh, ties to this. <laughs> I received no money from people buying this, but it's a film that I think people should own. That when someone goes, what's the weirdest movie you have at home? The per- you can go, well, look at this and just pick it off the shelf. And then they'll go, ooh, a red case. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, seriously, though, we are really honored to carry this. Honestly, <laughs> I'm serious. I know it's – but honestly, the the amount you've done for this podcast, for the store, man, like – it's only like I wish we could have more stuff with commentary commentaries from you on it. Honestly, uh, wait, what can you do like a Justin DeClue section, like the director I know, exactly. section? That's what you I can want. have I want. both my movies, few Gold Ninja video releases, uh, <laughs> yeah. the Vinegar Syndrome, Behind the Mask, or Unmasked Part Twenty Three. I do commentary and Fist of Fear, Touch of Death. <laughs> yeah, and I regret to say I, I still I meant to get around to watching this this week and I failed you oh, big it's time. Okay. And I did I not you. watch it. But... I mean, there's some other movies on here. I really hoped you checked out. By some of our favorite filmmakers. <laughs> oh, I did. <laughs> so uh, next up, it's our weekly Hammer Horror film. And what do we say? We haven't watched that many Hammer films. It's The Evil of Frankenstein. Yeah. Shout Factory's <laughs> putting it out. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We have The Dallas Connection being released by Mill Creek. What, what is this? This is Andy Sedaris again. Again? So there's two Andy Sedaris movies this week? oh my god the ones we talked about last week i know we're like a couple weeks late i think and now there's another two so all you andy sedaris fans out there we're just they're just rolling them in right now but i mean now they're in like the 90s period where i think people know less about these ones but i don't know we still have regular customers come in and buy these like clockwork so People are getting the whole collection on They're like, oh my god, I'm a completist. I'm going to have to get this. You know, though, the moment they release that last movie, a box set's coming oh, out. I know. You, they're doing the girls' guns and G-strings on Blu-ray. I know they're going to do it, and they're going to have it for like 20 bucks. You're going to get all of them. <laughs> yep. Oh, but it may be one of those things where there's no special features. Where they just package it like just the movies. It's Mill Creek. Like, when does Mill Creek ever do special features? Uh, we also have a bullet for the president from a company that I have not seen uh, in a long time, Wild East, who they specialize in spaghetti westerns, which this one is. And it's a weird one because it's like a retelling of the JFK assassination, but like in a spaghetti western <laughs> setting. That's great. Yeah, Wild East is a weird company. They were really prolific on DVD for a while with like double features of this uh, really obscure spaghetti stuff. But in terms of Blu-ray, they never really got into that market too much. And then I keep thinking they're a company that's gone under or something. But every six months or so, they release a Blu-ray like this. And apparently they're alive and well. It's like Media Blasters. You're like, wait, what? Media Blasters is still around? 
Yeah, exactly. We also have the Kyoto Connection, a.k.a. Journey to Japan. This is released by Cheesy Flicks, which are a... Um, <laughs> which is a mark of quality yeah, right there. <laughs> they mostly deal in like public domain, gray market stuff. And this is a sexploitation film, I believe, that stars Christina Lindbergh, who was famous for starring in Thriller, A Cruel Picture. Yeah, so this is one of her lesser-known films, I guess. The the, ti- the cover alone has two different titles on it, The Kyoto Connection and Journey to, J- to Japan. Mm. I don't know really what it's more known by, but it seems like your typical Christina Lindbergh sexploitation. I don't think Cheesy Flicks has done anything in terms no, of restoring this. It is, it's a DVD release. They don't do Blu-ray releases. So, I mean, it's cheap. You're going to get what you pay for. It's probably like a VHS dub or something. Yeah, something they ripped off YouTube. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so now we move on to the Dark Force corner. Wait, what is Dark Force, Mark? A new Blu-ray label? Dark Force Entertainment. Yeah, let's talk about them. So they've been around for a few years now. I mean, several years now at this point, but we never got any access to their titles. They used to be a company that you could only direct order from them, or I think it's some exclusive online retailers. I think maybe Ronin Flicks dealt with uh, some Di- of their- Diabolic uh, DVD got some as well. Yeah, yeah. Diabolic, right. Um, but now, with their, some of their new stuff coming out, they've actually made it available to physical retailers, uh, starting with this first wave that we're going to start talking about that actually came out back in March. But again, because of the shutdown, we just received the shipment now. And we will be getting more from them in the future. But uh, I think it's worth noting that Dark Force has been the subject of a lot of controversy in the home video uh, uh, forums i guess forum yeah. these days i mean if anybody keeps up with you know home video gossip <laughs> you know what i do not because it is infuriating and it's filled with very scary people yeah exactly i don't really like to associate with some of the people online that are like really hardcore into this stuff but i, I mean, read a review just this... recently where a guy's like disc three to special edition that presents nine versions of the movie and interviews the entire cast and crew is bullshit one of the tracks is oh in mono God. and it's supposed to be in stereo <laughs> jesus well the issue with dark force was more of a moral issue yeah I guess. So they're they... like kind of edge lords on their face group yeah and they've i think they've had that reputation for a while although i'm sure other people could speak to this more than i would because i don't follow it i only knew about this because it kind of kind of caused a stir a few months ago when it was around the time that there was a shooting there were a bunch of shootings in the u i mean there's always mass shootings in the u.s but i think it was that weekend there were like those two really really big ones recently and um they had a release i believe of ator the flying eagle coming out or something like that which we will be getting like a standard edition of soon just to throw that out there but to advertise it on their facebook and social medias they put a very unpc basically just offensive post tying it into the school shootings in a way that i think they thought was really funny and edgy but just came off as really tone deaf and offensive and they got a lot of flack from it on online spheres, as they should, and to the point where they ended up taking down their social media pages, I think, for a while. Wow. Yeah. The thing is, though, they didn't really apologize for it. They kind of doubled down on it, and they were basically like, well, this is just who we are. We release, like, sleazy kind of movies, so this is just our personality. But, I mean, I think you can still release sleazy movies, you know, Severin does, Vinegar Syndrome does, without actually being just huge unrepentant assholes online right <laughs> uh it kind of reminds me of the situation with the the guy who i was gonna code say red, code red you know? that He's... guy oh man i think isn't he sick and like 
in like hospice or something like that. Like, I think he is. I remember seeing a post about this and his brother runs Scorpion as well because they like split yeah, off. Yeah, well now, the- exactly. And Code Red stuff is now distributed by like Kino yeah, under the Scorpion label. So it's kind of been taken over by that. He doesn't do it independently anymore. So I don't know how much... Uh, authority he has over his that own code red anymore. guy man when he would go off his rocker and he would just like stop distributing stuff because somebody would like say well i don't know about the cover of this he's like then nobody gets it i know right he uh i remember when he released nightmare that 80s slasher movie that's kind of like whatever he put oh, it out in, right remember he put it out in, like a nice special edition i, I actually remember. bought it too i was like one of the few people i guess to buy it but he went on this tear like a week after being like i can't believe i thought everybody told me they wanted wanted this movie i can't believe nobody bought it i'm never gonna make anything for you guys do you know why he went on that tear because he included an hour-long interview with the director in italian with no subtitles oh yeah and people were like what is this and he's like all the stuff i do for you like (laughs) i know (laughs) you don't appreciate me yeah, another another good thing with him, uh, a friend of mine who uh, used to work at the store, too, we were trying to order some Code Red DVDs. He was having a sale back at, at some point, and he flat out, we placed our orders, and he flat out got back to us saying, yeah, I'm not shipping to Canada anymore because I don't like... I don't like Canadian customers because of the shipping issues or something. And he just gave us some like flat out stupid response and was like, okay, well, I guess nobody in Canada will ever be getting That's a changed. Code Red That's changed since Ronin Flicks took over from him and uh, they've been doing it. So yeah. I ordered from them. Yeah. 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 No, they're good. They're good. And they do those like Scorpion exclusive releases. Yeah. Too, all those Dario really Argento nice. movies and Conquest and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. So uh, lots of Dark Force releases like Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick Baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they've got an interesting slate for this <laughs> yep. first group here. Um, so Freeway 2. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I just watched this this week. Um, I'd always been a longtime fan of the first Freeway. I'm a big fan of that movie. And somebody really needs to put that out on Blu-ray because all it exists in is, is like a shitty, uh, non-anamorphic so it DVD right on now. streaming in high definition and has a completely different color transfer of, uh, the DVD with the artisan DVD I remember owning. Uh, and it looks like crap. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's weird. It must be like stuck in some like rights issues that they can't put it out for some reason. Yeah. I think Lionsgate was the last company to have ownership over it. Cause I think they took over the artisan catalog, but like, they're not doing anything with it. And I don't know if they even have it anymore. So. And freeway Two: confessions of a trick baby is not actually a sequel to freeway. Uh, they changed the title <laughs> thematically at I guess. the last I minute. Know. They changed the title to be freeway Two Cause it is the same director and it's also another adaptation of a grim fairy tale freeway one was little red riding hood and this one is hansel and gretel and like freeway one this one is just an insane like almost like natural born killer kind of gross out thing uh it's bonkers yeah it's definitely like the kind of 90s um crazy-eyed direct-to-video film that you would get every now and then from like an auteur who got a shot it's directed and written by matthew bright uh people may know him as the director of tiptoes you know i've never actually seen tiptoes i gotta I'm very get on surprised that. that you have not because that seems know, right up your alley it's been on my to watch list yeah for a while <laughs> but before he made that disaster which completely nuked his career he was best pals with danny elfman and richard elfman he wrote and co-starred in forbidden zone which is an amazing movie uh he wrote a bunch bunch of Richard Elfman movies like Modern Vampires and Shrunken Heads. 
And Freeway 2, it, who does it star again? It's So, yeah, talking about 90s cast, it stars Natasha Lyonne, like right after or around American Pie time. Um, I can't remember... I know. I can't remember the name of the other actress who was in it, honestly. She was kind of in a few things in the 90s and then kind of disappeared. But then you also have my man, Vincent Gallo, in dra- in drag as a... Playing the witch of the Hansel and Gretel story. <laughs> with a bad Mexican accent, like a Spanish accent. He, he plays a Mexican nun, I guess. Um, and then David Alan Greer, too, in a kind of funny sort of uh, supporting role as uh, Natasha Leone's uh, parole officer slash much older lover, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Matthew Bright movies. He's interviewed on this disc. It has a great like 30 minute interview with him. And another one was the producer. And he's like, I don't really see my films as comedies, but you know, people are laughing at them. So I guess <laughs> that's what they are. Talk about MPC though, right? Oh, like it's man. hard to, it's hard to imagine either of these freeway movies getting made in today's age. Um, and I don't know. I think there's a lot of value in these movies. I don't know. I thought I think they're like a lot of fun. A lot of they're just they're pure camp from start to finish. And I do think they portray while there's a lot of vile things that go on it. They deal with you know molestation and murder and a lot of sexual deviancy and stuff like that. Ooh, a lot of uh, tricky racial stuff coming from writer director Matthew Bright. Yeah, I think the racial stuff definitely feels very of the '90s and not so much now. <laughs> uh, of the '90s, have you seen Forbidden Zone? That also That's has. True. Very- that's true yeah i mean i think that's kind of matt i think matthew bright is just you know part of that era i would be interested to see it i think it's telling that matthew bright hasn't made anything since that era i love the interview it looks like he lives in the desert and he's like in a um, i don't know a camper somewhere (laughs) and like the background is just nothing just just desert the entire way through but he's very fun in that interview and yeah the movie looks great on this so yeah they've done a really nice job and i think i think if nothing else these movies do provide fairly strong female characters that the characters you know they might be put upon by different men and their deviancy but they do seem to rise above it and they don't take shit and it's a lot about them taking action against the vile men in the world uh, I mean, in the first one, Kiefer Sutherland is incredible in the villain Yeah, role. I mean, the first one has Reese Witherspoon in kind of like Tracy Flick, if she was um, someone that lived in a trailer park. Yeah, way more psychotic. I love Reese Witherspoon in it. I think it's one of her best performances, honestly. Oh, she's so good. And you keep waiting for that one because it's like, when is it going to be like Little Red Riding Hood? And then in the last 10 minutes, it just brings it Exactly, home. right? Um, and I think Natasha Lyonne carries on a lot of the spirit of uh, Reese Witherspoon's performance. Um I would say I maybe like Freeway 2 slightly less than the first one, only because it feels like it's going through some of the same motions as the first one. You know, I love Vincent Gallo, and there was too little Vincent Gallo for me. You told me that, and then I sat and watched a movie? He's in 30 minutes of the movie. He's barely... He, it takes over an hour for him to even <laughs> but he's show there for up. 30 and he's like, minutes, it's enough. <laughs> he's like second build. He's like on the cover. I always thought he was like as much of a star. I thought he was as much of a star as like Kiefer Sutherland was in the oh, first man. one. Speaking of problematic people, Vincent Gallo. Oh, Vincent Gallo. Yeah, we can talk. I, I have a lot of love for Vincent Gallo's 90s films, but, you know, I can't I can't stand. As a person? Uh, I mean, I think he's an ultimate troll for sure. I mean, the whole thing he did where he had his website and he was like sp- selling his sperm yeah. online and like guaranteeing that the child would be a genius, <laughs> like an intellectual, like a prodigy was – I mean, one of the most, the ultimate trolling moves of all time. Or he's just a dumb guy. I think he's just... Spike Jones. Spike Jones doesn't know anything. Spike Jones is a piece of shit. 
That's a classic Vincent Gallo quote. Oh, Jesus. Well, the craziest thing to me was like, he. I remember him being on a podcast once. I think it was maybe what he was also talking about, Spike Jones, And he was like ragging on Sofia Coppola so hard at that time. And like pretty almost misogy- vaguely misogynistic ways too. And then a few years later, he was in Francis Ford Coppola's Tetro for some reason. So. Like Francis Ford Coppola's like, he has a lot of opinions I agree with. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, we, we got to keep going down this dark force hole. Uh, so we also have Point Doom, which I would have picked as our blind buy if I had seen the cast of this. Oh my God, I think yeah. it's like, it's not a slasher film. The, the, the synopsis is very generic. It's like drugs and gangs. Yeah. But, but it stars Richard Grieco, Richard Grieco. Ice T, Andrew Dice Clay, Zach Galligan <laughs> from The Gremlins, and Sebastian Bach, the musician. Yeah. Ugh, what a cast that is. Directed by Art Camacho, who is a terrible uh, director, who his heart is in the right place, but like has made like kids' films. He directed Half Past Dead 2, the one right. that stars Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, but with a cast like that, how can you fail? Oh my god, it looks hilarious. Like, if you look it up, I remember looking it up on IMDb or when we were first ordering it in just to see what it was, and it looked like, you know, typical y2k era dtv trash but like this dark force release they are selling it so hard on the back they're like this is like a mix of all these different genres like a genre pastiche they're like selling it as this you know what i may have to pick this one up because i'm gonna be like ugh, (laughs) if i don't watch it now oh my god right anything with richard grieco as the star is you know worth a watch right so um the other release that dark force has out of there's three more they have a double bill of the loners and dragon versus needles i have not seen either of these films the first one is a easy writer ripoff that stars is it dean stockwell who's in quantum leap with scott bacula <sighs> you know i've never watched quantum leap so what? i one know of the greatest tv shows of all i'm time. sorry i'm sorry you know what the premise is right i do yeah i know of quantum there's an leap. amazing episode where scott bacula jumps to the body of a um mentally disabled person oh, and he looks at himself in the mirror and he's like oh my god i'm and then the words uh, he would say that he would say. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dean Stockwell is who I was thinking of. And yeah, so it's an Easy Rider ripoff. And the second film is just some generic uh, Taiwanese martial arts picture. But they did new scans of them. And so I think Dark Force may be related to Code Red in some way. Yeah, you know what? I think I might have seen the Code Red label on the back of this now that I think about it. Because this has a Damon Packard double feature oh, mode. Oh, my God. And Damon Packard, the filmmaker, we've talked about him on the podcast before. Yep. We love him, Fatal Pulse. Oh yeah, I love him. He um, does scans and edits for Code Red, and so he right. edited together like an intermission and an opening and like conclusion to this double bill thing. Right. So that's why I think maybe they're related in this as that's well. That's pretty cool. That's almost worth picking it up just for that alone. And finally, we have two horror films: Mirror Mirror and its sequel, Raven Dance. And what what Mirror Mirror is this week's blind buy? <laughs> so mirror mirror stars lydia from beetlejuice oh my god you could tell it's like they wanted to get winona rider they couldn't get winona rider and they're like we need winona rider from beetlejuice so let's get an actress and just dress her up like this that. is a movie about an evil mirror so better than oculus and the mirror it's very unclear like it gives her psychic powers and like grants her wishes i guess and her wishes is mostly like give the teacher trouble breathing it just basically gives her black magic skills right it basically turns her into like carrie sort of 
You know what my beef with this movie is, though? Like, it's a mirror movie. It's called Mirror Mirror. I love mirror horror movies. I, I am <laughs> a big fan of Oculus. Um, I'm not a big fan of Mirrors with Kiefer Sutherland. That's a bad movie. But, you know. Thinking about all these movies, they all have downer endings. Is that a mirror thing? Yeah, the ending of this movie in particular was such a downer. And a downer that I don't really even understand, to be honest with Wait, you. Wait, <laughs> was it all the dream? Was in a child's eye? Like, Yeah, I was really confused by the end of that. But you know what? I just didn't think they used the mirror concept concept enough at all in this like it was mostly just about the the winona rider character having these black magic powers and that's kind of it like with the mirror thing i just always think like the scary thing about it is the whole doppelganger idea and like this idea of like wouldn't he be your best friend mark that's what i hope for <laughs> every morning i look in the mirror hello in there please <laughs> yeah uh the mirror it bleeds yeah there's like some satan hands that come out of it uh, at one point uh like nails stab oh my somebody. god yeah <laughs> i mean what's notable about this is that it was directed by a woman, Marina Sargenti, which was very rare for 90s horror movies. Oh, absolutely. And that this would have been perfect for if you were a teenager in the 90s and you were a goth. It would be your favorite movie of all time. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, the hero of the film just turns evil and starts killing all of her enemies. Yep. <laughs> in brutal ways. One of them, she, like, roasts alive in the shower. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, I, I will say that. The kills are actually pretty good in it. But so. not enough doppelganger mirror content in Mark's opinion. That's what I watch mirror movies for. You know, there's a really good mirror movie um, from, like, I don't know. 15 years ago called The Broken. I don't know if you ever saw that one. Oh, wait. With, is that uh, the one that has like half a face on the cover and it was a um, After Dark release? Yeah, it's got Lena Headey in it. Headey from Game of Thrones and it's from the director of Cashback. I can't remember his name. Sean. Oh, I do not like Cashback. <laughs> uh, yeah, Cashback, sorry. But The Broken I thought was really interesting because they go into this like sort of doppelganger world on the other side of the mirror. And with this, it's like they kind of approach that a few times, but then they just never go into it. And it's just mostly about this black magic thing. Well, good news, Mark. There's three sequels. I know. I saw that. <laughs> and Mirror Mirror 2 Raven Dance, I think, is amazing because it was directed by the composer of Mirror Mirror. So, like, is this one, the sequel, very musical-based? And they're like, we need a guy who knows music. Get us the composer who had never directed a feature film before then. That's always a good sign, right? Like, the guy who directed uh, Urban Legends Final Cut. Was, uh... Uh, don't you mean Academy Award winner for editing on Bohemian Rhapsody? Oh, God. Yeah, of course. Of course. Do you think they could put out Urban Legends Final Cut and it's like Oscar winner John Ottman? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, Shout Factory did put that out, right? And like put nothing on it. <laughs> uh, so now we're moving on to the classic section. Ooh, wow. It's a real Tony Scott double, but only in UHD. Top Gun Days of Thunder. We already talked about this last week, didn't we? <laughs> we kind of mentioned this last week, did we not? We talked about Tony Scott and our favorite Tony Scott movies. Well, now the UHDs are here, so... 4K. That's, that's all I can really... <laughs> what a hard sell. I know. I really don't know how to sell 4Ks. It's just like, yeah, it looks crisper than it ever has before, I, mean, I guess. I mean, I heard William Lustig say that now that he's moved on to 4K, he'll never look back. Even though William Lustig also <laughs> said he only bought a 4K TV like two months ago. And a, a year before, I heard him in an interview say, why do people keep re-releasing stuff? It doesn't make any monetary sense. But then he figured <laughs> yeah. out that, you know, people are going to buy... 
I don't know. What was one that he put out? That was his? Maniac. Yeah, you know that there's a 4K of Maniac coming out? Yeah, I know. Another I... one? It just came out! I know. Is that why he bought his player and his TV? Uh, but you know what's sold better than both of those Tom Cruise 4K UHDs is the 4K UHD of the Tom Cruise War of the Worlds from 2005. Uh, aren't there enough copies collecting dust and like bargain bins and like boxes in front of people's houses? <laughs> like, Yeah, see, that's what I thought. I would understand if this movie just came out and it was just like a new thing but like i thought nobody liked that war of the world i like war of the world but it's not one i'm gonna spin and be like yeah let's go to that post 9 11 time and enjoy uh tom cruise doing his thing oh yeah well we sold out of this one right away before top gun and days of thunder we can't even get them in fast enough i mean i remember liking the first two-thirds of war of the worlds when i was saw it in theaters yeah, until tim robbins shows up yeah, and then I just hated the ending, and I've never really thought about it much We since. also have the Blues Brothers being put out. Uh, yeah, this movie's fun, I guess. John Landis, uh, not a good man. Yeah, John Landis. Well, and you know, speaking of John Landis, he cameoed in Freeway 2 That's also. right, as the judge in the movie. I've heard him asked about it and he just kind of hand waves it away even though there's behind the scenes footage on the blu-ray of him doing that role <laughs> did i ever tell you my john no. landis story actually i ran into john landis at the tiff bell Lightbox in toronto one day uh not because he was really there for anything in particular but I, maybe they were screening something one of his movies at one point and he was around but i was there for a press screening in the morning i think it was when they were doing the american comedy he likes to introduce jason and the argonauts but a lot. yeah i uh, i was there for a press screening in the morning it was dead and i saw him he got on the escalator in front of me and we were just going up together he turns back and looks at me and i just like you know it's him right off the bat so i was like hey uh are, are you John Landis? I like, I couldn't not say anything. Right. And, and he looks at me like really disdainfully. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, Oh, hey, wow. It's just, uh, it's crazy to see you. I'm just, just a big fan of your stuff. <laughs> and he's like, did he pull a, um, he has a story that when he met George Stevens, George Stevens, uh, he said to George Stevens, the director, I'm a big fan of yours. And then George Stevens was like, all right, name three movies that I directed. And then he was able to. What if John Landis was like, what are your three favorite films that I direct? You're like, uh, American Werewolf in London. Well, that's what I was thinking. At the, as, as soon as I said that to him, I was like, um, I'm not actually that big a fan. So I don't know why I just said that. But, but you know what his response to me was? He looked at me. He went, okay. And then he turned around. And just, <laughs> what a jerk. I know. <laughs> That's it. And then he just walked up the escalator. Uh, oh, did he just walk like to get away from you faster? Yeah. Uh, he was recently on Joe Dante's podcast and it came up that he met Jordan Peele at a dinner. And then he went, I hear Jordan Peele's doing this new Twilight Zone TV show. Why don't they give us a call to direct an episode? And it's like, uh, uh, John, I think I know why they're not giving you a call. Yeah, John, nobody likes you anymore. And nobody likes your son either by that. Matter. Especially uh, Twilight Zone related material. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so we also have The Mask of Zorro. Now we can talk about good directors, Martin Campbell. Oh, yeah. I am a big Martin Campbell fan. <laughs> uh, Martin Campbell, though, it's like, you know, sometimes he shows up, Casino Royale, the best James Bond film. Sometimes, not so much, uh, Edge of Darkness, <laughs> Mel Gibson. I have to say, I'm an Edge of Darkness apologist right oh here. Oh my god, I saw a press screening of that at U of T. Ooh, 
wow. And, and wow. I was How so it... excited because it came out right after Casino Royale, I believe. Uh, it was a few years after, though, actually. I think it was like 2010 or something like oh, that. Yeah. And Green Lantern. Oh, God. I never I never saw that so one. Wait, so you're a Mark Campbell fan. So you like Casino Royale? Goldeneye, maybe? I love Goldeneye. I'm not a big fan I'm of that a one. big, big Goldeneye and fan. No Escape? <laughs> As a Ray Liotta. Uh, you know what? I haven't seen No Escape, so I can't say. I've always wanted to. I, I have not seen that one. Um, but I do I do like Edge of Darkness. He did do the original miniseries of Edge of Darkness, which is pretty good. And I do have to say, I love how ridiculously violent the Mel Gibson version is. Is so, it? I don't even remember that. Yeah, his daughter gets blown away by a shotgun in the first, like, five minutes. And you're like, what? That's enough for you? You're like, yeah. Yeah, I'm in. And then he just, like, he's blowing people away left, right, and center the whole movie. And then it ends in that weird moment where him and his daughter, the ghost of his daughter, climactically, like, walk into the white light together. It's hilarious. That's because Mel Gibson dies of, like, radiation poisoning or something like that, doesn't he? Does, he does, yeah. Well, because that's why his daughter di- is dying too before she gets shot, right? And so Mask of Zorro, this is like the classic pulp film that came out Antonio Banderas and Anthony Hopkins. Not to be confused with The Mark of Zorro. Wait, which one came first? Is this? The Mask of Zorro was the first one and then it was The Legend of Zorro was the oh, sequel. Oh, okay. And uh, The Legend of Zorro, a very funny long gap sequel. I think it came out like 10 years after this one. Yeah, you know, I actually never saw The Legend of Zorro. I think it was like, by I was really into The Mask of Zorro when it came out and I was a kid. And then by the time Legend of Zorro came out, I was like, nah, I'm not really interested anymore. But finally, you can watch it in high definition, Mark. Yeah, Matt, and like War of the Worlds, this is another one that's been surprisingly popular on huh. UHD. You know, I was looking at getting like another TV, like a bigger one than the one I have. And then I looked at the price of UHD players. They are still $300. It's crazy. I was upgrading my Blu-ray player recently, and uh, I was looking at getting a UHD player, just biting the bullet. And you're right. Like, I couldn't find a decent one for under 300 And I'm like, I'm not going to get a new TV anytime soon, so let's not do so that. So we also have the complete Hal Roach Streamliners collection, Tracy and Sawyer military comedies. <laughs> I don't know anything about these. <laughs> well, Hal Roach, you know, the godfather of comedy. I assume this is kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel, but uh, fans who have been waiting for this to come out, be happy. It's out now. We've sold a few. I mean, the, this company, Classic Flicks, has been putting out a bunch of Hal Roach uh, collections lately. They put out like a Thelma Todd, Zazu Pitts set, and like a bunch of other ones like that. Uh, Charlie Chase stuff they've been putting out. Mm, which love I Charlie Chase. Related. Um, this one, yeah, a little more obscure, but again, they definitely have their fans. We've sold a few of them already, so um, he's got a he's got a niche going. You know, all this comedy stuff, it's easy to fall through the cracks, especially if it's considered in public domain, because it's like, oh, the only copy I can find is the shittiest YouTube rip. Right. <laughs> so it's right. good for these companies to actually like package them together and put them out into the world. Absolutely. I mean, and Mill Creek is doing uh, their due diligence by releasing another William Castle set. This yeah. time, a noir double feature. DVD only? No, this is Blu-ray, actually. What? Blu-ray only, yeah. Okay. The thing about William Castle is no one goes to any of his films that are not like the horror ones that are famous. I and know. like, ooh, I can't wait. Because William Castle, he'll say this himself. He was the most journeyman of journeyman directors. Like, just do his job, go home at like five, and then that's good. So these two, Hollywood Story and New Orleans, uncensored noirs. I don't think they've really been released much past public domain stuff, so... I mean, it's a more legitimate release. Again, Mill Creek doesn't do special features mostly, so it's unfortunate there's not more. I feel like there could be more back story put mm-hmm. out there about these. Um, we have a huge noir clientele, though, and they've eaten up this release. We already had a bunch of people pre-order it with us. So clearly, like, noir fans just want noirs, you know? And especially no- 
it doesn't matter what, and especially if it's like more obscure or they don't know much about it or it's just never really been released. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have Mill Creek, you know, not trying too hard and just going, uh, it's a Western double feature, I guess, with the man from Alamo and they came to Cardura. Uh, these are like, I guess, mid-tier ones. They saw like Glenn Ford. There's some other famous people in it. I feel like with these ones, they could be put out by another company at some point in like nicer editions, which is what happened with some of the, like they put out um, standard editions of uh, films that Arrow ended up releasing in like really nice special editions before. So I don't know. I feel like these could get nicer releases in the future. So it depends on how much you want it. It is, again, a double feature. It's all on one disc. So I don't know what, like, the bitrate quality is on this either. So now that we're moving on to the new stuff, speaking of things that you should wait for the special edition, Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> so last week I did say that I was going to watch Sonic the Hedgehog for you this. didn't watch it. You know what? I took it home. I put it in my Blu-ray player and it almost broke my Blu-ray player. <laughs> yeah, because it was going too fast. Yeah, this is why I was searching for a new Blu-ray player this week. So, I don't know. My <laughs> to player's watch kinda... Sonic the Hedgehog? You're like, I gotta watch it. I know. So, I have not seen Sonic the Hedgehog. I was all excited, too. I was ready to do it. I loaded it up, and it just wouldn't load, and it almost broke my player. So, <laughs> do I'm sorry. Do you think sorry, maybe but... another movie that you watched this week could have broken your Blu-ray player? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so, Sonic the Hedgehog, great Jim Carrey performance, lots of fun. Feels like it came out in 1993 biggest compliment i can give it you know what and i like that i was really jazzed to see it It was i was jazzed to see jim carrey just being jim carrey in like a wacky video game movie i will watch it for sure you know when i get my new blu-ray player i promise you sonic the hedgehog is going to be the first disc i spin you're going to baptize it with sonic the hedgehog you're going to have a chili dog in each hand ready to chow down hell yeah hell yeah we also have emma being released this is an adaptation of jane austen's emma there you go it's directed by autumn dewild who's uh, mostly famous as a photographer is her first feature directorial effort yeah i didn't see it i heard really good things about it um yeah, I missed this one, though. <laughs> so I don't think I've ever seen an adaptation of Emma. There's obviously been a ton of them. I think the Gwyneth Paltrow one from the 90s is kind of the biggest one before this. But I heard really good things. So we also have the new Pixar film, Onward. Man, I remember when Pixar released Up, I was like, Pixar will never do any wrong. Oh, man, me too. I watch Onward. It's a lot of fun. But sitting there watching it, I realized, like, I have not seen the last, like, four Pixar films. I haven't seen yeah, same The here. Good Dinosaur. I didn't even see Toy Story 4. Yep, me neither, actually. I just thought it ended so perfectly with Toy Story 3. You, you know, know what? I did see, what was the one they did about the Day of the Dead? Coco. Coco. And when it ended, I went, eh, the Book of Life is better. And was actually directed okay. by people who are from that culture, as opposed right. to, like, two white guys and a guy that they brought in. They're like, ooh, we got to legitimize this somehow. Yeah, well, I I think Pixar's reputation got a little sullied with John Lasseter, right? And I feel like now they're not, they kind of lost some, the wind got taken out of their sails a bit with that. It's the same friggin' five old white guys who are directing every movie. It's insane. I know, it's brutal. And I just, I don't, they used to seem like so progressive to me and so like full of like just really deep, you know, like with really deep the themes that kids and adults could get into. Obviously, it's Pixar. And then at a certain point, I think Inside Out was actually the last one I've seen. I don't think I've seen anything past that. Uh, and I loved Inside Out. I really did. But then nothing else after that has really looked any looked decent at all. Well, they me. got bought by Disney and the people who ran the company are just getting old and they don't want to let go of the reins and give, you know, another yeah. director a chance. So I know. Oh, yeah. Brave as well. 
Oh. Yeah, and the scandal over that too, how they like finally hire a female director, but then she's like hounded the whole production process or whatever happened. Then there. they fired her and they like got somebody else to sub in. It's just not a good look. And you know, and then you find out it was just like such a hotbed of sexual harassment through like the making of all of these movies that you've loved. And it's like, ah, damn, that sucks. Well, we also have Field of Lost Shoes that's coming out from 2015. <laughs> this has a great premise, but an even greater creative team. In 1864, a group of sheltered teenagers confederate cadets uh, are ordered into battle to prevent union forces from taking the shinoda valley Oy. but you know what i have trusted the director of brats and orphan <laughs> horse <laughs> i know and he i think he also did some of the baby geniuses sequels with uh john void actually did he i thought bob clark did both of those baby genius movies they've made more sequels past the bob clark ones Wait, and has john voight returned in them yep john voight has starred in at least two maybe three sequels past the bob clark ones that i, I believe this guy directed <laughs> who is demanding like john voight to return john voight is that's who john voight himself the fans need the continuity <laughs> uh did you see the cast of this field of lost no shoes, i though? did not it stars our main man david arquette oh when is that david arquette <laughs> documentary about him oh, wrestling i can't coming wait out? i can't wait we gotta talk about that at some point uh but i will say for a final note on field of lost shoes i have heard through some of the reviews that it is an extremely revisionist take on the civil war and that it's very pro-confederacy leaning so take that you know however you double billet with american outlaws the classic colin farrell film Uh, we also have Underwater coming out, uh, a long-delayed horror film that was put out in February to people saying it was pre- pretty good. I heard good things. I mean, it was from the direct, uh, director William Eubank, who made that film The Signal about five years ago with Lawrence Fishburne, which looked really cool, but honestly, it was just story-wise, it was really bad. Wait, you were a T.J. Um, Miller completist, though, right? So you have to check this one out. <laughs> I don't, you know what? I don't think I've actually seen T.J. Miller in anything. I know who he is. I do not believe that. I never watched Silicon Valley. I never saw the Daredevil, or sorry, the uh, Deadpool You never movies. saw um, Transformers 4? Nope, I only ever saw the first Transformers. Well, you know what? I'm going to go through T.J. Miller's filmography, and I will find an episode or a movie that he was in. Please do. Please do. Oh, yeah, do. people like this one. They say it's like, oh, it's a monster movie. I don't know. It sounds like it has a downer ending. That really turns me off. Yeah, so. I mean, I like Kristen Stewart, but I mean, some, some of her bigger budget choices aren't always great. So we also have VFW, um, which is a pretty fun film. It's like a siege film with a bunch of old-timey character actors like Fred Williamson is there, uh, the problematic Fred Williamson. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, this movie's come under a lot of fire lately too, right? Um, didn't Fred Williamson probably... Uh, proposition a makeup artist or something on this film and then they, she got fired because of yep. it so i mean fred williamson has always kind of been that guy though yeah like, yeah but this film also has an amazing performance by stephen lang uh william sadler uh, martin cove is in it as well george went david patrick kelly the guy from the warriors who's like warriors come and, out and play yeah and twin peaks and it's gory it's bloody it moves fast you know as far as all these like kind of post-genre film made by fans, it's one uh, that wants to deliver the goods, like Joe Bagos, the director. Like he likes these kind of movies yeah. as opposed to like being above them or trying to elevate the material to like, all right, let's make, you know, a siege film, but there's never any conflict. That's yeah. why it's good. It's like, no, just make a siege film. I know. That's why I always like don't really like siege films a lot of the time, but I am intrigued in this. I, I got to catch up with Joe Bagos, though. I've still only ever seen Almost Human, and then I've never kind of gone past that. Uh, 
I thought Almost Human was okay, but... Mm. I like the moxie of Almost Human. I like to call it the uh, fat naked guy movie. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The trailer is like the editor of the movie, who also stars in the film, would be like, ah, it's like eating people, it looks yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> I heard Bliss was pretty good, though. We talked about that when it came out, right? Didn't people we? like it. And I think my after I watched it, I was like, I don't know, I'd rather watch The Addiction. It's yeah. like the same movie. <laughs> yeah, The Addiction's great. <laughs> uh, we also have Mafia Incorporated, which is a new Canadian film by Daniel Gru. Yeah, he's kind of a cult figure, right? In, uh, in is he? Quebec I don't know. Cinema. Yeah, we've had a few of his movies. He's made he made a film called Set Jour de Talent, which was a kind of, <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Nice try, Mark. Did you like my French there? Is that, was yeah. that good? Yeah. Set Jour de Talent. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I nailed it. I've been practicing all day for that one. Um, it was kind of like a, a subversion of torture porny kind of things. I, I never saw it, but I heard really good things at the time. He so wait, also... what is a subversion of torture porn? Like everybody's high fiving and having a good time. <laughs> like yeah. torture porn sucks. What am I talking about? I know people liked it, but um, he also made a film. I think called, it was called King Dave, which was all like in one take about a guy. I don't know. I heard. Just wait, was it a things. sequel to Saint Ralph? No. <laughs> It should have been, though. In a better world, it should have been. Oh, wait, King Ralph. Sorry. There is a movie called St. Ralph. King Ralph is with John Goodman, right? Because King Ralph, the plot is that everybody gets electrocuted while taking a photo, and then the only person in the bloodline is John Goodman, so he becomes the king. So, like, how would St. Ralph work? I think we should pitch John Goodman on this. I think he's round to revisit that. The, same, the King Ralph? Yeah, like a Netflix film of some kind? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What else is he doing? Uh, John Goodman is doing a lot of stuff, He is, Mark. he is, actually. Uh, so, Mafia Incorporated? I don't know. Sounds good. I don't know, man. Mafia movies? Uh, if they don't star David Arquette, I'm not interested. <laughs> that's a that's a um, deep cut for listeners. <laughs> yeah. Wait, no, oh, I wanted to say the name of the movie because it was a rare half star out of five that I gave it. <laughs> yeah, you hated that. That's the only one I felt legitimately bad about. But picking. I told you, don't feel bad. No, Because yeah. it's an experience I would have never had. That's true. I felt bad for half a second. <laughs> <laughs> but then you, you know, you're at the edge of your seat because that film is so, what is it called again? Mob Town. <laughs> Mob Town. Okay, yeah, people, uh, I don't remember what episode we talked about it, but go through the archives and it's find it. It's still on our new release wall, so, you know, rent or buy today. Come on, please. <laughs> no, don't do please. it. Please. I think it's rented one time. <laughs> um, we also have Promare being released by Shout G Kids. That was a big anime deal. Yeah, it was a TV series first, I think. Nope. No, it's just okay. a direct uh, movie. It's directed by Hiroyuki A. Imiyashi, I am butchering that name, and he's most famous for doing an anime series called Gurulagen and Kill a Kill, I think it's called. And okay. the second one is super popular. Like, people love it. And this is his big first feature film since doing that series. And it's like colorful and crazy. I watched it like a few weeks ago. Yeah, if you like anime stuff, you will definitely enjoy this because it has all the craziness you would expect from anime, but it's also like very progressive and you know, just fun, not dark, not violent. It's about like, there's a mutation on earth that people can like have pyrotechnic powers. Okay. And the earth has combated it with like firemen that are all in like giant mechs to like fight <laughs> them. So, yep. That's the plot of the movie. It sounds cool. Yeah. And wait, I have to say, though, they're putting out, like, another special edition later on they of this are, movie, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, I just heard they're going to put out, like, a big... I think there's a CD in it or something, or it's, like, a Blu-ray CD pack that's, like, a limited edition. But I don't set. think Shout is doing it, because Shout is already doing this and the Steelbook, 
and then it's another company that's doing, I think, a bigger Blu-ray release. I think you're it. right. Yeah, we we might bring that in depending on what the the price point of it is. It could be really expensive. I mean, you've been trying to um, befriend your the anime fans, right? Of course, of course. In more anime. Hey, we have more anime fans than ever before, and even yeah, Promare was has been doing well for us so oh, far. Oh, last time we talked about it, you're like, I don't know what these anime uh, kids it's, want. It's mostly with, with the movies; they do really well. It's mostly the TV stuff that doesn't really sell for us, and I don't really know what to bring so, in. So I almost skip it but also justice league dark apocalypse is being released i don't know man you watch all these dc movies i I got nothing to say about this yeah Uh, but you have a lot to say about vivarium the new jesse eisenberg film yeah i just watched this one this week uh this was a film i'd been wanting to see for a while i love the premise it's got a real great hook basically about a couple played by jesse eisenberg and imogen poots who are look looking to buy a new home and while they're basically being taking this tour of this home in this new development the suburban development they get stuck in there they can't like find their way out of this like suburban development that they're at and uh yeah it's got a great premise um it's the kind of movie that i think i would have loved when i was like a teenager too it looks great too and the set is amazing i don't know i think the set that they use and the way he shoots it looks incredible it's made by an irish director lorkin finnegan so yeah while on that level it's really interesting i think on a narrative level it's just not really as satisfying as i wanted it to be. you just want to say it has a wet fart of an ending right yeah you know it just no the problem is everything happens so fast like within 20 minutes they're already like stuck in this place before you even know who these characters are really there's no like gradual i think i would have enjoyed it more if there was like a gradual progression and they kind of get stuck in this place without really knowing they're stuck in this place but it's like right away it's weird and then they get stuck there and it's like then the movie kind of spins its wheels for a good like 45 minutes after that um it's also like heavily allegorical it doesn't really take place in a realistic world and i would say you know the allegory is all about the you know capitalism sort of like burying you and you kind of like being buried in the home you you buy like stuff that's really relevant to today but i think he just the allegorical stuff is really thick and really obvious like the characters like literally dig their own grave in their front yard like it's (laughs) basically it's that kind of movie so while i think the ideas are really interesting i wish that he had done them in a little more subtle of a way. Yeah, you know, if people want the fun version of this, pick up Vincenzo Natale's Nothing. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I love that film. And I think that does a similar kind of thing better. I mean, I think the one thing he gets right in this is just the look of this endless, like, hellscape of suburban homes. Like, that really looks great. Ugh, I wish I had a home. It's just too <laughs> obvious, yeah. <laughs> so we also have uh, Without Name, which is another film by the same director as Vivaria. Global digital releasing is trying to jump in on that action. I know. Well, this is a bit of a cheat. This came out a while back, but we actually never got the announcement for the DVD. So we finally just random, but it randomly showed up the same time as Vivarium. So um, this film, yeah, was the director's first film, uh, an Irish film uh, that's basically a man in the woods kind of horror story. Uh, It premiered at uh, TIFF years ago, and that's where I saw it, actually. And that I thought was really interesting. I would say that's almost more interesting than Vivarium. Because it's about a guy who's like a land surveyor. He goes out to this isolated part of the woods for his job. And he starts to basically hallucinate. The woods have this effect on him. And it's really cool. It's really creepy. And it's 
and it also has allegorical things to it but it leaves it a little vaguer it lets you take what you will from mm. it and i kind of like that more than sort of what vivarium has where it kind of like beats you over the head with its so points. we also have a documentary mystify the michael hutchins the new documentary about the lead singer and songwriter of in excess wait aren't they canadian uh, they are, are they not? Or at least... Yeah, I remember them being on like some reality TV show, like they were the hosts or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. Well, I don't really know much about him, uh, but this is your kind of movie, right? You love documentaries. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm a huge NXS fan. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Shout Factory's putting this out. I guess they. this is supposed to be a decent doc. Um I know, like, it's a tragic story with him. He died, right? Like, he OD'd or something? Isn't that the thing with him? I don't know. Probably. It sounds sad. I, I clearly did my research. Yeah, he was the singer, original singer, I think. He was Australian. That's who he was. And he ended up ODing in uh, 97. And then they replaced him, I believe, with somebody. Um, but so this is the story. I guess it's, like, your kind of typical, like, fame is, you know the pitfalls of fame, the rock stardom fame sort of thing. We also have Jim Pop from the amazingly named company Degenerate, <laughs> which this must be like John waters right? Oh no, it's a Tibetan film. Well, I will say this film is excellent. I, I have to say that. Um, so this is, yeah, Degenerate is kind of an offshoot of a label called Icarus Films, which does a lot of like documentary stuff, like highbrow stuff. And Degenerate usually specializes in kind of like arty Chinese films. Um, but they've been putting out this director's films, Pema, I'm going to mangle his name, but Pema Tsidin, I think. He's a Tibetan director and he's actually the one of the only directors making films in the native Tibetan language right now, too, which has been like which, you know, the Chinese government basically wants to extinguish altogether. So his films are really interesting. Somehow he makes them and gets them through Chinese censors How? because they're really <laughs> well, because they're really subtle, basically. Oh, yeah. But China censors hate subtlety. But for some reason, all of his films pass and he's made like five or six films now. And I've seen a bunch of them. And they're all really, really great. They kind of remind you of Abbas uh, Kiristami's films. Similar kind of vibe as that. Um, and he's another filmmaker that manages to get his films through kind of like draconian governmental government censors. Um, this film's really, really great. It's really dreamlike. It's about a truck driver who picks up a hitchhiker who has the same name as him. And the hitchhiker tells him a story about going to kill this guy that uh, murdered his father when he was a child. And then when he goes, the guy is like the main character is racked with guilt and tries to find this guy and maybe intervene. Uh, really, really cool film, though. It's really dreamlike, great acting. And it just really shows off the Tibetan landscape and, and Tibetan culture like not a lot of films Wait, do. Wait, did you watch this movie before you watched Sonic the Hedgehog, Mark? How dare you? I saw this a few months ago. So Yeah, I, your publications always send you to watch the movies that nobody else wants to see. So I did have to review this film for, for my the outlet that I write for, so I kind of boned up on his films Ooh. beforehand, and I just really fell in love with his what stuff. What a writer. That's why they pay you the big bucks. Please, please hire me. Hire me, please. We call him Mark Scrooge McDuck Hansen because he just <laughs> makes so much money writing about movies i know i'm rolling in it here you should see the mansion i live in <laughs> i can see the boxes behind you of the tiny little room that you're currently recording this podcast from by mansion i mean the store which i live we in. also have dark room being released by tla lars a male nurse from sar oh man i cannot say this word Saarbrücken moves with his lover roland to <laughs> berlin but one of them is checking out the berlin nightlife while the other one is experimenting with a deadly poison i don't know what that means i don't know sounds cool sounds hip uh, it's like a 
hip German film. Um, I love the TLA still around. Yeah, I don't know. They're still going strong and their stuff does really well for us. So I don't know how well their sales are, but, you know, they do mm-hmm. well for our clientele. Wait, is there still that company that releases like a monthly DVD of world cinema with like a short film attached to it? You know what? That used to be film movement, actually. Mm, um, okay. But they don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah. <laughs> no world cinema. We don't want to see people's short films, you know. No. Get out of here. Give me a commentary. Give me some making of. Give me some context. I don't know what this is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also have Red Letter Day being released by Dread Central. This is a Canadian slasher film. Sounds good, except someone that was involved <laughs> runs a film festival somewhere that I won't name oh. that may have turned down one of the movies oh, I directed. No. <laughs> yes. Personal grudges. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't seen this film. I, I heard it was Canadian and I played some festivals. Uh, cool. Pre- I mean, I like the premise of it. Um, not sure how you know, that will turn I'm out. I'm probably going to buy it out of obligation okay. to my Canadian brotherhood. Well, that's very nice of you. <laughs> yeah, as the bigger man. <laughs> yeah, you really are. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm actually glad that it's being released like regularly, not like through them, that they were able to get a distributor. Yeah. So that's fun. Wait. So, did you watch Brahms the Boy 2? Brahms the Boy 2 was actually one of the last films I saw in theaters before everything shut down. (laughs) So, did you like the boy? Well, you know how I feel about killer doll movies, first of all. You love killer doll films. And you're a big fan of the guy who... Wait, what else did he directed? Because he's directed so much shit. William Brent Bell, yeah. He he directed Stay Alive, which is a great video game horror movie. Yeah, it's a great Frankie Muniz vehicle. Wait, he did The Devil Inside, right? He did, but I've never actually seen that film. I just thought I was getting kind of burned out on found footage at that time, and I never oh, saw it. Oh, no, The Devil Inside is not the one that ends with go to the website to see how this started. I heard that was the one, yeah. I didn't see it, but I had friends that went to see it. But uh, with the boy, I thought the first boy was okay. I, I mean, I love the design of the doll more than anything. And I love the fact that the doll is named Bronze. It's just hilarious <laughs> to me. People went like weirdly positive about it. Almost as if they were like, I can't believe this doesn't suck. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the fir- the original boy, the first half, I thought was really good and kind of fun. And then the second half was terrible. Mm. And it just becomes something that you've seen a lot before and it kind of just ruins itself at the end Bra- i love that they call the sequel brahms the boy yeah they two, know where their bread is buttered they know what they're doing and they kind of uh retcon i guess is that the word they retcon it so they they make they kind of erase some of the stuff from the first one to make it more of like the killer doll movie it always should have been and i have to say i had a lot of fun with brahms the boy two Ooh, you're in the minority you like brahms the boy two more than the boy much one. more i have to say i i liked it gets crazier it gets way more over the top the climax is hilarious in the best way I think it's great. And I think, you know, Katie Holmes has not been in much lately. And, you know, she's okay in this. She's she's really not bad. So I have a lot of I, I have a lot of don't good make things. me watch Brahms the boy too, Mark. <laughs> I would recommend Brahms. <laughs> no. Hey, we forgot to say if we'd say if Mirror Mirror would be a blind buy or not. And... Oh, yeah. Mm. Nah. nah, not for <laughs> no. me. I mean, the other question is, having seen Mirror Mirror, would you blind buy Mirror Mirror too? No, I would not. No, I wouldn't either. Uh, we also have the Jack in the Box, which has an amazing premise, which is an evil Jack in the Box that the the like clown thing comes out and kills people, and it's just like a regular sized man. It looks like. Oh yeah, so I did watch this one too what? because you obviously... thought it was a killer doll movie. <laughs> Justin, honestly, did you see the movie Jack in the Box and think I wouldn't watch it? Like, I have a now. question. Have you seen all the Puppet Master movies? I have not seen a single Puppet Master movie. I knew I'm that was going to be your answer. How dare you! I failed my doll obsession. I own everyone except 
for the one that's only made up of footage from the other movies. I think it's Puppet Master The Legacy. I believe it's the sixth one. I got to get into that series at some point. For some reason, I've just never gone down that road. And now there's so many of well, them. Well, you know what you got to do, right? Oh, no, you gave it away. That big box of stories to have. Back to the Jack in the Box. The Jack in the Box was really low budget. Uh, it's British. I mean, it's basically what you'd expect from like a low budget, like VOD type movie right now. But I have to say the Jack in the Box, both the doll and the man creature that comes out (laughs) of it are legitimately terrifying, I have to say. Yeah, I actually got some spooks out of it. The guy who plays the the Jack in the Box man is actually one of the kind of contortionist actors, like a Doug Jones type, who has um, been in the Star Wars movies recently and some other stuff. Um, And he does a really great job. And the look of the Jack in the Box is hilarious. I mean, the movie itself is pretty terrible and the characters are stupid and everything but you know it reminded me of something like robert and i actually think it has the same i think it might be from the same production company as robert because it had that same kind of feel to it but um i don't know i had a lot of fun with it for like a really low budget vod type wait wait, speaking of robert What's this movie? The Jonestown Haunting? I know. This is from the director of Robert. (laughs) A man who directs like five films a year? Oh, God. He's directed like so many goddamn movies. Um, I regret to inform you I did not get around to watching this one, although I really wanted to. I don't know. It's like an exploitation thing about the Jonestown massacre, but like... You know, done in that classic Robert style, I'm sure. Oh, man, I'm about to take a Robert uh, fan club membership away. I know, I'm sorry. I mean, I will say I haven't seen any of that director's other movies apart from the Robert franchise. When's the next Robert movie Um, coming out? You know, it's already out. I just haven't brought it in yet because the last Robert movie we brought in tanks. Nobody touched it. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, don't you have to be a completist, though? You need all I'll watch it. I'll I'll report back about Robert when the time is right. You need it in the store, though. What if somebody wants to do a Robert marathon and they're like, well, you guys don't have all the movies. when the time is right we will we will talk about robert reborn <laughs> which is what the fifth or sixth in the series it's the fifth one and there's no word on a sixth one yet surprisingly wait so you had the other four in the store right the other four the problem is robert reborn is also like a world war ii era one which is what the last two have been this guy <laughs> is obsessed with world war ii and i'm like just bring robert back to present day dude come on well uh, we also have the way back you know moving from killer dolls to ben affleck to sad ben affleck you know well, the film he's struggling with his um, oh, addiction. Sober Ben Affleck now, right? <laughs> uh, I heard this was good, right? Isn't it Gavin O'Connor that made this one? Uh, yeah, Gavin O'Connor. He was supposed to direct Suicide Squad too. Wasn't Mel Gibson supposed to direct that at one point? Did they actually say that? I think he was announced. At one point, he was like announced as the potential director. I'm surprised after Mel Gibson came back with his World War II movie that like... Oh, God, yeah. He didn't direct anything afterwards. Like, no. that was it? I guess maybe that was, that was nominated it. for Oscars. I think it was nominated oh my for God, Best Picture. It was. Yeah, he was brought right back into the Hollywood circle. Um, so finally, I don't. You put this one last. The Current War, directed by Alfonso Gomez Rajon, uh, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Michael Shannon, Edison versus. Uh, I don't remember what the other guy's name is about the uh, <laughs> battle for electricity. One guy. Edison wanted DC power and the other guy wanted AC power and they're head to head. Head to head. Yeah, this has an interesting production history, right? Only famous in my heart because I have a soft spot for the director um, who I had first heard about when my pal Peter Kaplowski uh, said, oh man, I watched this movie, The Town That Dreaded Sundown. It's really crazy. It's like something that you would shoot, Justin. And I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, yeah. 
And then I finally watched the movie and I'm like, this is how I would shoot it, you son of a bitch. <laughs> so, Town That Dreaded Sundown. And uh, so it played it after dark. And I remember Peter telling me the director was like so appreciative. He was like so nice. He was so happy for his movie to be playing. It was like a really early on Blumhouse film. And they took it away from him and made him change okay. the ending. It has like a really goofy Scream 2 style ending. Yeah, yeah. When his original idea was that you just wouldn't know who the killer is. Yeah. Like he'd be like shot in the it's, face or something like that. It's I don't pretty remember. stupid, I will say that. <laughs> and then he made uh, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl, which was a Sundance like smash. It was a huge yeah. buy, sell, and everything. It made all the trades. I think it was like the biggest sale ever at the time. Yeah, it was huge. Yeah. And then it came out, nobody cared. Nobody liked it. Yeah. Nobody watched it. <laughs> They did so many free press screenings of that movie. Oh, I know. I remember they were giving them out at the store here to us to like pass it. And then The Current War was a movie that he made with Miramax right when the Harvey Weinstein thing went down. And like Harvey Weinstein forced him to show the film at TIFF in an incomplete version, but they didn't advertise it at that. I saw it there and at a press screening and I was like, eh, it doesn't really work. It's, you know, it's fine. And then it just disappeared for like two years. And supposedly what happened was Martin Scorsese, who the director had worked for as an assistant like 10 years before, and they've stayed friends the entire time. It's actually a really good hour long interview between the director Martin Scorsese on the Me Earl and the Dying Girl Blu-ray. He was the executive producer on the current war. And because it got so much of a kerfuffle, the final cut went to Martin Scorsese and then Martin Scorsese handed it back to the director and said, do what you want. And so the director actually, like, did some reshoots, like, really, like, subtle stuff, and cut out, like, five minutes of the movie and, like, restructured it. Okay, okay. It still doesn't really work, but it's, like, a fascinating effort. And when it comes to, like, these kind of biopics, this guy, like, you've seen The Town That Dreaded Sundown. He's, like, very visual. He's the one who set down the template style of American Horror Story. Like, he directed a lot of that first season. So right. that's like how his style. Yeah, he works with a cinematographer who did all of Park Chan Wook's films, so it like has a real style to it. And yeah, he, this yeah. is a movie as well is that like it's available in multiple versions in different places because like he could not stop the release contractually of it like in the UK and in Korea and stuff like that. So this Blu-ray is the, I think the only way to see like the director's cut version of the movie. Yeah, I mean it's nice they finally put it out and he's somewhat vindicated, right? Not in Canada. Yeah, exactly. Well, we imported it, though. We import the good stuff here. He does a commentary on it, and he's very honest about, like, the difficulties that he had making the movie and, like, the screening at TIFF and how much of a disaster it was and, like, how he had to wrestle control back from the movie and the choices he made. So he's a real, like, articulate guy, and it's a shame that, like, he's had, like, the worst kind of career path yeah, you can have. Yeah, just, like, I can't... He cannot I win. Know. <laughs> It's just like a farce that he was like the last movie to get caught up in that Weinstein scandal, too. It's like, what else could he go wrong with his career at this point? I mean, he directed the pilot for Hunters that Jordan Peele showed I mean, that I, nobody I really liked. Admit, Justin, I really don't like the town that dreaded Sundown. I understand why you don't, but love it. Just it's so crazy. Anthony Anderson shows up and you're like, why is he here? He doesn't even do I think anything. I like the idea of it way more than I like how it actually plays out. Oh, are you saying like the meta? I think that's interesting. I just think, well, first of all, I think the lead actor, the lead character is really 
unsympathetic and kind of stupid, frankly. I, I don't remember. Yeah, she, uh, she gets it. And the choices she makes and the relationship she gets in with the creepy guy is just like... You know what? I'm just a visual guy, Mark. Uh, character, <laughs> drama, doesn't matter. Are there crazy camera moves in it? Oh, yeah, there is. I mean, it's a movie that's like just full... All it is is just red herrings and nothing else. And then at the end, it's like... I know, and it, yeah, it's like, which red herring is it? Oh, it's somebody that you didn't even, th- it's like the most, the least what person you'd least expect, right? Yep, that's how it works. And then you're like, ah, you got me. Is that why you don't like it? Because you're like, I thought I had solved it. Wasn't it also written by the guy who created Riverdale and everything? And it, Oh, it was. It I was, forgot. Yeah. Oh, I love and Riverdale. It, okay. Yeah. See, I, I haven't really watched much of Riverdale. Um, I watched a bit. It definitely has that Riverdale kind of vibe to it. But Hmm. You know, you're a man of many complications. I thought I you would love something like Riverdale. I, I know. I don't know. Uh, my partner is a big fan of it. Uh, I like what I've seen of it. I, I don't uh, dislike it necessarily. It was just never something I followed regularly. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, The Current War, rented at Bay Street Video. Now watch it finally in its director's cut version. Oh, yeah, man. So that's it for this week. Uh, and, you know, just to warn people, next week, Maybe a little bit light, so it'll be, be perhaps be a special episode. Yeah, it might be a little scarce. We're still slowly getting our shipments in, which is why we haven't been talking much about Criterion's, Arrows, Kinos lately. We're still kind of waiting on a lot of this stuff to come in. So at some point, we're going to have like a Kino Bonanza episode. So look out for that. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they're start, slowly starting to trickle in. So it's un. Yeah, we're unsure how much we'll have next week, but we'll have something for you. All right. Well, until then, my name's Justin Clip. And I'm Mark Hansen. Keep on buying. And keep on renting. And returning safely. <laughs> yeah. It's what you want to watch. These movies and many more are available at your local video store.